1: This is Gordon Runyon. Just wanted to thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of Setting the Record Straight. Uh, I, right off the bat, I've got a book recommendation for you that is important to what I'm going to talk about today. The book is from 2011. The author is named Eric Metaxas, and it's a auto, it's a biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it's called... Bonhoeffer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy. Obviously playing on the old Jean Le Carré spy novel, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy. So this uh, book is a biography of Bonhoeffer, like I said. If you're not familiar with him, you should get familiar with Bonhoeffer, especially in the days that we are in and the sorts of governments that we deal with. It's worth taking a look at him. Bonhoeffer was a German pastor during the rise of the Nazis and Hitler and into World War II. He was eventually hanged for his involvement in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. And because of that, he makes some evangelicals (laughs) nervous. Well, in this book by Eric Metaxas, by the way, here's my, here's my dad joke. When I bought this book, it was the only time I've ever been happy to pay my taxes, pay my taxes. (laughs) I guarantee he's never heard that sort of joke before, pay my taxes. So go buy the book. Uh. Anyway, in this book, as he's documenting Bonhoeffer, and he documents, in fact, Bonhoeffer's struggle with how to deal with a growing tyranny. What's the Christian man's responsibility? And then when he begins to see his friends and colleagues and neighbors treated horrifically by the growing Nazi regime, thinking more about... What do I need to do? What do I need to lead my people to do? For me Bonhoeffer is one of my heroes and so I highly recommend the book to you. But the reason that I want to bring it up is because at one point Metaxas documents that Bonhoeffer came up with a fascinating metaphor that illustrated his thoughts and his strategies for dealing with tyrants. And the metaphor is. If you you have to imagine a chariot. Being pulled across the land by big strong horses. flaming Flames coming out of the nostrils. <laughs> so these are some nightmarish horses. And they're drawing this chariot across the land. And the chariot driver is the tyrant. And he's gone crazy. And he's overrunning his own people he's destroying everything he doesn't care about the destruction that he's causing and he believes that the christian has the right and then at some point the duty to employ three tactics against this mad chariot driver good baptist preacher that i am i have summarized them three points starting with the same letter The first letter is speak, or the first word is speak. First, or the second strategy is save, and the third strategy is spike. Speak, save, and spike. Under the first strategy, Bonhoeffer believed that it was the Christian's right and duty to speak, at least, to the mad chariot driver. And I believe we have ample biblical evidence for that. In, in our Sunday morning services at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tucumcari, New Mexico, we've been walking through the book of Jeremiah for quite some time. We got into chapter 37 not too long ago, and one of the things that happens there is that the prophet's been thrown in, in prison in a nasty place, and at some point King Zedekiah brings him out, and Kind of has the gall to ask him, hey, is there a word from the Lord for me? And Jeremiah's answer is really quite bold. And in fact, it's a little bit mocking. You know, why, why are you talking to me? Where are all your paid prophets who told you everything was going to be fine? And that's just one isolated example. And it's on the top of my mind because I just preached about it. But the instances of this the people of god speaking to the tyrant and calling him to repentance it it really is throughout the scripture and of course in the new testament we see this uh, most most classically with john the baptist in fact his boldness to speak to the tyrant and call him to repentance was eventually the impetus for getting him thrown in prison And it's not just that the prophets speak, but I'm often impressed by the boldness with which they speak. Now, the issue is that when we start talking about the people of God having a right and a duty to speak to the tyrants, there's a whole section of modern evangelicalism that would argue with that and try to say, no, our job is just to preach the gospel. That's what we do. We just preach the gospel. And so they would even argue with the idea that we have some kind of responsibility to speak on political issues. I imagine they would say if you accidentally got stuck in an elevator with the with the tyrant, then you would have maybe some right and duty to share Christ with them. And, you know, for spiritual laws, sort of elevator pitch for Jesus. But there's a lot of pastors that are out there who fundamentally disagree with the idea that the church has anything to say to the state. I'm convinced one of the reasons they say this is because in their own mind, they know they, if they had an opportunity to speak to the tyrant, they don't know what they would say. They don't have any answers. Not too long ago, I was at a I may have mentioned this before on the podcast. I was on a I was at a meeting where several churches, representatives of several churches were present, and one pastor was called on to address the gathered assembly. And one of the things he said is he was talking about the state of our churches and what's going on as as a way of, you know, just trying to keep it real and talk about the way things really are. He said at one point that our churches are hopelessly divided over politics. And then he leaned forward into the microphone very dramatically to stress the point. And he said, and I have no idea what to do about it. And at least he was keeping it real. You know, he was being honest. This guy doesn't know what to do about it. His son has turned up gay and he he just doesn't know what to do. In his own family, he doesn't know what to do. And here he's uh, terrified at the thought of having to actually speak to issues larger than his own experience. When we don't have anything to say to the tyrants, it leaves them free to make up their own law. When we don't teach them the law of God, then it makes their law superior and supreme, in their own minds at least. If you look up the word uh, tyranny in the dictionary... Generally, the first definition that you're going to run into is that it will tell you that tyranny is the arbitrary use of power. Arbitrary use of power. And I think that has at least two senses. One is that tyrants are unpredictable. Uh, Some people may get away with stuff that other people are punished very harshly for. And so there's no predictability in the exercise of their power, and on the other hand, it's arbitrary in the sense that it isn't based on anything other than whim and feeling and political expediency. And if we don't think that we have a right and duty to at least speak, then we just leave them in that. We confirm them in in that idea. A lot of our kingdoms or a lot of our churches, (laughs) uh, wow, Freudian slip. I just said a lot of our kingdoms, a lot of our churches have this idea that the churches exist on a separate plane from the rest of the world and and they even exist as a separate kingdom and that one doesn't have anything to do with the other. They've bought into this uh, fairly twisted idea of the separation of church and state. And they've bought it into a wicked interpretation of Romans 13, 1 through 7, which allows them to think that the government has a blank check from God to just do whatever it feels like doing. Well, Bonhoeffer knew better, and we know better. And I think that you can probably, without much help, you can come up with your favorite stories, your favorite prophets, and how they spoke and how they dealt with the kings. Uh, think of Nathan, the prophet who kind of took his life in his own hands to go and confront David about his sins. He he had a right and a duty to go and call the king to repentance when he was acting like a tyrant. And he certainly was. So that's the first point. The first strategy that Bonhoeffer had in dealing with tyranny is to speak to the driver of the chariot. The, the second second of the three prongs is to save and he meant by that that the church has the right and the duty to come to the aid of those who are being crushed by the chariot the chariot driver is a madman he doesn't care he's he's just as happy destroying people as he is doing anything else and the church has a duty and a responsibility to step in there and do what we can to pull people out of the way of the chariot and to come to their aid and save them. So we speak to the chariot driver and we seek to save the victims of the chariot. We do see some examples of this in scripture, for sure. One of the easiest ones to think of is the Hebrew midwives at the beginning of the book of Exodus and how they were willing to hide the Hebrew boys and come up with a story to tell Pharaoh about why they, these boys couldn't be murdered. They're commended for their faith in the New Testament. And what were they doing? They were, they were stepping in between the mad chariot driver and his innocent victims. And I'm convinced we are supposed to do that. You see it also in uh, In the New Testament, where Paul had to be lowered from the city walls in a basket because the tyrant over the city had designs to do him wrong. And so the church, collectively, the people, stepped in between and they saved him. You might also say the same thing is true in the case of Jonathan back in the day of David and how... King Saul had made a rash vow and because of this stupid vow, he wound up uh, commanding that his own son Jonathan be put to death and all the people decided, uh, they kind of all in one voice decided, no, that's wrong. It's because of Jonathan that we won a great military victory today. He's not going to die. Nobody's going to die for this. And so when a... In a very graphic way, the people of God stood between the tyrant and his intended victim. And we are supposed to do that. And in Bonhoeffer's situation in Nazi Germany, we think of the many Christians who risked everything and often lost everything, earthly at least, for the sake of coming to the aid of those who were being trampled and run over. And I don't have to remind you of all those stories. Also, in ancient history, we know, this is famously told, the fact that the the popular Roman form of almost abortion, it was actually more infanticide, properly speaking, but we all know how the Roman society had decided that if you don't want your baby, you can leave it outside the city limits, or you can leave it under the bridge, or whatever that is, and the baby would either die of exposure or be eaten by wild animals. And that was legal. And it was a post-birth way of aborting your children, if that's what you wanted to do. And the Christians of the time, famously, what did they do? They went out and they rescued those babies and brought them in, made them members of their own households. And in part, at least, populated the church with those that they had saved from that sort of uh, trampling by the mad chariot. Okay, now the thing about these first two steps, these first two strategies of Bonhoeffer, the speaking and the saving, I don't think these are terribly controversial. I mean, I did mention there are pastors who... Uh, I have a lot of Navy terminology in my mind for explaining how ignorant some of these guys are that I will refrain from using in mixed company. But uh, these guys are ignorant. and But thankfully, I believe they're a small group, the ones that are pressing their ignorance anyway and acting like it's wisdom. I think that's a small group. But regardless... I think most people in the pews understand, of course we have a duty to speak. And of course we have a duty to save. We have a duty to love our neighbors as ourselves. And when we see the man beaten and, and left for dead on the side of the road, we don't care what the identity of the robber was. We're supposed to go help that guy. It doesn't matter if the, if the ones that beat him had badges and government titles. None of that matters. And so our commission includes going out and rescuing and and being a neighbor to people who have been trampled and run over. Of course, in our day, there are many government policies, even in uh, the quote-unquote freest nation on God's green earth, that have the absolute effect of running over people and destroying them. We think of abortion We think of uh, injustice in the judicial system. Think of unjust foreign wars. Think of the militarized police and how the police are being trained to see the American people as their enemy. And every day there are more and more videos that show, yep, (laughs) that must be the way they're thinking. Nobody does what police do if they don't actually think they're dealing with their enemy. I was just seeing an article from USA Today that said that by their count, there there have been 85,000 cops investigated in 10 years for criminal activity. And that was not counting California, where we have a plethora of law enforcement officers So not counting California, 85,000 cops in 10 years. And we've all seen the statistics. statistics, You're much more likely to be shot and killed by a police officer than by an Islamic terrorist. Uh, One other recommendation I would make for you is the podcast Serial. Now, I listened to the first season of Serial and the... And it was all about this one particular murder trial, and whether or not this kid named Adnan was really guilty, who had been convicted. And it was pretty interesting. It's well done. It has a high production quality. Season two came along, and it's about this uh, this pervert, this Bo Berg doll. and. Uh, I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I heard from a lot of people that season two was terrible compared to the first one. And so I left it alone and then season three came along and I was still just going to leave it alone. But my friend Carrie Appling pointed out, this is something you need to listen to. And so I downloaded episode one, season three of Serial. And I, no joke it made me physically ill listening to this it made me physically ill my head hurt i was nauseated i was just ready to be done i was i was so incensed if anything in you loves justice you will you will freak the heck out season 3 episode 1 of serial i have listened to several other season 3 episodes and they kind of all do the same but wow if you doubt me just read that first one and what it will show you is that our so-called justice system is is broke there's no other it's tyrannical it's the arbitrary exercise of power for the sake oftentimes for the sake of just having good numbers how many people we uh, prosecuted for their crimes how many people we put in jail how many arrests we made, how successful our conviction rate was. It's, uh, wow well, it's, it's the definition of tyranny, arbitrary exercise of power. I'm convinced the Bible tells Christians that we have to be on the side of the oppressed. This doesn't mean that oppressed people never do anything wrong or never deserve to be punished for their crimes. And that's not what I'm saying. But when we see people with power coming into conflict with people without power, and running them the heck over, I think our first instinct needs to be to jump to the defense of those who are being run over. And that was Bonhoeffer's point. So we speak to the mad chariot driver, we save those who are being crushed. And like I said, I think most people would think, well of course, of course that's right. Nothing controversial about that, but then you get to the third point in Bonhoeffer's strategy, and it takes a left turn for a lot of Christians. Bonhoeffer's third strategy was that at some point it becomes right to spike the wheels of the chariot. And Bonhoeffer himself, as I mentioned, was hanged by the Nazis for participating in a plot to assassinate Hitler. Because it was right at some point to spike the chariot wheels. The chariot driver isn't listening, he's not stopping. He's, he's not it, he's not just accidentally destroying his own people, but he's doing it on purpose, and nothing is putting an end to it. Bonhoeffer believed at some point is right to spike those wheels. Now, I don't think that necessarily means violence, but it does mean purposely working against the system to undermine it. Purposely working against the tyrannical system with the intent of undermining it and destroying its power. Now, I think we have have examples of this in scripture as well. Where we see our heroes, people mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith, actively moving to undermine the tyranny. The classic example, she's in Hebrews 11. Hall of Fame of Faith is Rahab the harlot at Jericho and how against the king's wishes, against the king's orders and undermining the king's authority and his kingdom, Rahab sided with the people of God, hid the spies and sent the king's men out in another direction. And note, she wasn't hiding innocent victims there. They really were spying with the intention of figuring out the best way to destroy Jericho. And Rahab took aside, and she undermined the king's ability to defend his own power and his own kingdom. I'd direct you, too, if you're uh, queasy about this, to Judges chapter 3 and Judges chapter 4, and the stories of Ehud, and then of Deborah and Barak. And in both these stories, the scripture is... Careful to tell us that God had given Israel over into the hand of a pagan or Canaanite king. And that's important. God gave Israel into their hand, which means that it was by the appointment of God that these pagan kings were ruling over Israel. They were the authorities that God had placed over them. And As Calvin famously said, when God wants to judge a people, he gives them wicked rulers. Well, this is one of the places that he got that concept. God does give wicked rulers to judge a people. But when they cry out for his mercy and they repent of their sins, God delivers them. And in these two stories, Ehud and then Deborah and Barak teaming up, They take those very kings that had been placed by God in power and they physically destroy them and their armies. Ehud, of course, kills the king. And then you have the heroic story of the woman Jael and how she drove the tent peg through the head of Sisera, who was the commander of the tyrant's armies. We also see this in 1 Samuel chapter 20, where Jonathan, who we mentioned before, chose to, be, to make a covenant with David. He didn't know at the time. You read it for yourself. He didn't believe it was true. He didn't know that Saul was trying to kill David. Didn't believe it was true. Didn't think it was possible. But regardless of that, he made a covenant with David. And knew that God would turn the kingdom over into his hand. And part of the covenant was making David swear that he would treat Jonathan's family well for the kindness that Jonathan showed him. What was this? This is undermining the tyrant's authority. Frankly, I think one of the largest examples we have of this undermining is from Jesus himself. When you think about all the times that he publicly addressed the Pharisees and Sadducees, the lawyers and the scribes, think of how many times his public teaching involved Him just confronting them and uh, rebuking them or through some funny stories and parables, through cleverness, he wound up showing that they had no clue what they were talking about. Read the Gospels. They knew that he was undermining their authority and they were the ruling class in Israel. And even when he wasn't addressing them directly in public, you know, having conversations with them, Still, his public teaching, so much of it uh, seems very much to have them in view. If you take out all of Jesus' teaching that undermined the authority of the leaders of the day, uh, you'd be whittling away a lot of the New Testament. So clearly, I think there does come a time when we're supposed to undermine what is being done by the tyrant. And like I said before, I don't think this has to mean violence. I think it can mean not violent, civil disobedience. Uh, It can mean the sort of disobedience that the Hebrew midwives and Rahab and the and folks like that did where they they knew they were taking action that would result in the destruction of the tyrant. Doesn't have to be violent, doesn't have to include physical force, but let's just say it physical force is on the table. You are allowed to defend yourself and you're allowed to defend your neighbor. And if King George III of England, the tyrant, if he sails the British fleet into the Boston Harbor for the sake of intimidating the colonists with all the cannons pointed at the, at the people, hey, if he wants to go that route, then the colonists have the right to defend themselves. Which coincidentally is what happened. And so I think that this should influence us a little bit. I'm not saying that every instance of tyranny is justification for regicide. But I am saying that it's on the table and eventually it's the right thing to do. And I'm not saying it's up to individual believers to decide it's at that point. I think these are conversations that we need to have. One of the places that you can go and see this conversation and interact with people's thoughts is another book called uh, "Vendicie contra Tyrannos." Three Latin words. I'll spell the first word for you: "Vendicie," V-I-N-D-I-C-I-E-A, "contra," C-O-N-T-R-A, and "tyrannos," T-Y-R-A-N-N-O-S. Anyway, "Vendicie contra Tyrannos," and it's a fairly in-depth. Thinking through the ramifications of what do we do and when. When is it right to take up arms? When is it right to use physical force to cast a tyrant out? What if the tyrant's in the country next to you? And he's running over people in his own country and they're begging you for help. Then what do you do? And those are all interesting questions. And those are things that we need to have conversations about, I'm convinced. But those conversations aren't even going to start if we've got huge swaths of the evangelical church who don't believe from the outset that any of this is proper. Uh, They have this doormat sort of theology, and there's nothing you can do to talk them out of it. And that's all I got for you today. I hope this was helpful to you. I'd be interested in your comments. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. God
0: bless. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.